Hello and welcome to Dropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And we're talking about the two popes today. Yes. This was uh, a request from a listener named Usman. So mm. thanks for requesting this. Because I started to watch this when it came out in 2019. And... They actually speak a lot of Latin and Spanish and all sorts of languages in it. And so it's subtitled heavily. And I just wasn't in the mood that time. So I just thought, oh, well, I'll get back to it. Because it was all right for the first few minutes. But I just thought, I'll get back to it. And I never did. Yes. We watched it today. Did you know anything about this? Yes, I knew about it. And I avoided it like the plague. Because, <laughs> you know, I'm not interested in religion or questions of faith. The actors are interesting, actually. Because I suppose I don't like them. But they're never bad. Like so, so Anthony Hopkins is a very interesting actor for me because, because I don't like him. I would never seek him out. Right? right. Like, there's something about his persona that I just don't like. There's a you know he's he's again one of those actors who's very closed off, but who's capable of conveying emotion really fluidly, and who's very intelligent in the choices that he makes. I mean, I really should love him. And the thing is that. I've almost never seen a bad performance of his, yeah? And mm. he's absolutely great in this. So I'm just talking about this paradox of yeah. of people you don't like, but they're always good or even better. I mean, sometimes he's truly great. Uh, and what about Jonathan Price? Well, the thing about Jonathan Price is, I, I think I al- almost always like him, but I just kind of don't consider him a star. Yes. No, I don't think anyone would, though. I'm not yeah. sure that's... I like him a lot, but I wouldn't consider him a star. Well, but what I'm saying is that I, I don't remember... You don't remember roles of his, really? Yeah, I don't. Like actually. Tomorrow Never Dies, the villain in that, you know, the, the Rupert Murdoch type. Uh, well, now that you mention it, <laughs> I kind of do, but he's not the most vividly memorable of Bond villains. No, maybe not, but I, uh, I, I liked him very much. I, I think he is memorable. The um, the religious figure in Game of Thrones that makes Cersei walk naked through the streets. Uh, that's a really compelling. He's, he's, wonder, he's wonderful in that, actually. Now that you mention it, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but but I, but I suppose that's what I'm I'm saying. Like he's not memorable enough for me to have seen. I wouldn't yeah. say, oh, Jonathan Spryce in this. Like, I must see it, right? Sure. And, and the thing is, I do. You know, he's wonderful in this, mm. uh, as indeed you know he is in Game of Thrones, and I'm sure many other things. But it's just, I suppose what I'm saying is neither the subject matter nor the fact that it's about popes nor the cast was something that would have drawn me. Sure. Actually, what would have drawn me, had I had I been more clear about it, is uh, Meirei as the director, because I do love City of God. Mm. But actually, again, I had a, almost a false memory of him, because you know <laughs> I was mixing him up with uh, Walter Salas and so on, so I thought he had this great filmography of films I love, and really, it's just City of God, which was co-directed. Was it? Yes. Um... I can't off the top of my head think of who the co-director was, but actually there's a debate around that because everyone attributes authorship only to Mareyes and it was co-directed by this woman. So it's seen as kind of an erasure of... Katia Lund. Of Katia Lund. And actually thinking about... It's interesting to think about the film because I ended up loving it, actually. I ended up liking it a lot more than I thought I would. Wait, City of God or this? Uh, this. The Two Popes. The Two Popes, right. yeah. But the direction is not what I liked. No, about I, I mean I agree with that. Although there are elements of the direction that I think are good, and it's not always about like I think when we talk about direction, we sometimes think of it very much in terms of like camera placement. And no, shot no, no, I'm not thinking about it only in that. Okay, 
Because what I liked was was the the direction of tone, actually, and I think sure. I think it's brilliantly cast in that not only do Jonathan Price, well, Jonathan Price is identical to Pope Francis, mm. and Anthony Hopkins has a real he shares a likeness with uh, Ratzinger. Mm. It's not quite as much, but the sunken eyes and the kind of roundness of the face is there. So the, the casting is sort of visually it's kind of bang on, and the two actors. Their chemistry is great, and they are able to, as a kind of two-hander and as a double act almost. You know, they do the comedy well together, and they do the drama well together. And the film, as you discovered, is based on a play. Yes. Um, so it's Anthony McCartan uh, who wrote the play, which was which was twenty fourteen. Hold on, it was very recent. Twenty seventeen, the play, and actually he, so he he screen wrote the theory of everything, which was the um, Stephen Hawking biopic, Darkest Hour, which was Churchill, mm. Bohemian Rhapsody, which was the Queen biopic, yes. now this, and his next film that he's screenwriting is uh, Whitney Houston biopic, so he's clearly sort of made name mm. in... Biopic in... area. <laughs> yeah. He's a biopic guy, and you can see that kind of, that, that, how that kind of runs through his films. Um, so the basis of this is that Benedict is going to resign. It's interesting that the film starts off with his election as Pope, and it's filmed and sh- and, and edited like like an action scene almost. You know, yeah. like it's so quick, and you're going from shot to shot to shot as all these cardinals are voting. And what I didn't know is that Francis came second in that vote, yes. and and Benedict is ambitious, and he's everyone talks about him as such, and everyone talks about Francis as humble, and you know the one. Uh, Cardinal says, well, you're the perfect choice for Pope because the one person who should be leader is the one person who doesn't want to be, mm. and all that. So it's a very, very simple setup at that point. And there were these shots of uh, Hopkins looking over at Francis, mm. or uh, Bergoglio, as his name was before he took his papal name, um, you know, with this kind of, you're the one I have to eliminate, and so on. The setup is very simple. And as the film goes on, you get to this point where Bergoglio wants to resign. And he flies to the Vatican and spends these few days with Benedict uh, talking it over. And Benedict reveals to Bergoglio that he wants to resign. And so this thing kind of emerges, of th- th- these, these complexities in the yes. characters emerged, and particularly Bergoglio's past in Argentina. Because mm. I thought it was interesting that that's, that's interrogated, and it's all about his, his fear that there's at least a perception, and he fears it kind of really happened, that he... Um, didn't do as much as he could have. Yeah, well, I would say, I think what he really fears is that he collaborated with the Argentinian junta That's right. of 1976. And he certainly didn't do enough, he feels, to help the other Jesuits, which he was the head of. Yes. And he kind of left them to, he fired them, right? Because they disobeyed his orders and he fears he had a kind of, uh, a, a moment of ego. He fired them and that left them without the protection of the church. And Benedict points out to him, but you saved so many people, you helped families, you, you know. Mm. So... He's, All of that I find quite suspect anyway. He's looking for absolution, I suppose. Or if not looking for it... No, he's not looking for it, actually, because he's just saying, no, I have to live with this, and this is why I can't be Pope. But he's offered absolution, which is interesting. But I think it was kind of interesting that Benedict is kind of popularly known as the Nazi Pope, right? And there are a couple of times in this film where passers-by... I hate the way that word is used. I agree. around like that. So, and I've been... I've been you know, when I was sort of when he became Pope, and that was the thing in the papers, was he was in the Hitler Youth, right? Mm. And I kind of made jokes about that as much as anyone, and the more you read into it, you're like, well, he was 14 years old, you had to be in the Hitler Youth, and it doesn't mean you liked it, right? And I think he deserted towards the end of the war. Mm. Um, 
So it's not like he was, you know, well, I don't know it wasn't there and I don't know too much about it, but I don't think it was like he was a kind of all singing, all dancing Nazi, right? Anyway, that things was, are always more complex. But uh, the film doesn't talk about that at all. The film shows two kind of passers-by in Vox Pops on the street mm. saying, oh, the Nazi Pope, he should never have been elected. And it doesn't make any effort to... to the film's not saying he wasn't Nazi. The film is very much saying this is the, these people's opinion and it's just the perception well, but he is seen as being a very conservative pope and very mm. retrograde and kind of... Um, so the Nazi element of his youth it also goes hand-in-hand hand with what's seen as being anti quite a lot of things, yeah? Yeah. Anti-women, anti-homosexuals, anti-changing yeah. the churches in any ways. So. And when he becomes pope, there's this thing about the first few things he does is just says no to things. Yeah, exactly. and he's And it's like it's like Trump, when he becomes president, signing executive orders. Mm. Like There's a shot of him that's a bit like that. That may not be a coincidence that it's framed in that way, that like him behind the desk signing stuff. It's like mm. Trump had all those photo opportunities doing that. Mind you, so do so many presidents. Let me take... Over, because I want to throw some things at you. Ooh. So, um, one of the things that I felt while whilst watching the, the film, because I think the film really worked on me emotionally. Okay. Right, kind of, I think, kind of resistance, uh, you know, to oppression. I always, um, I have a vulnerability that I always find it moving, even if it's trash. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, on the one hand, I thought, I don't think this is a great film. On the other hand, I'm being very moved by it. And also, the film really is dealing with a lot of um, very important issues, yeah? Mm. About the poor, globalization, you know, the role of conscience, uh, resistance to authority, yeah, kind of, you know, what are your principles and how do you live them? Like, yeah, in many ways, there are kind of many of the important questions in life, yeah? Also, you know, love and marriage and desire and the hiding of crimes, you know, uh, the collaborating with crime and also the hiding of crime to protect, you know, something else. I mean, I thought, you know, so in a way, this is like a, a serious film. Yeah, it's about yeah, yeah. kind of, you know, important issues. And on the other hand, I think it's working through those issues through a point of view that I reject. Yeah, because as soon as you begin to bring faith into the equation, you're talking about things in a different way. Mm. Yeah, it's like the candle went up, the candle went down, right? Like, right. Yeah. So, so I had a very mixed response, and I had a, a kind of a mixed response to it also, you know, as a, as, as a work of art, yeah, that, you know, on the one hand, the performances are great, the tone is great, I really responded to it, I laughed in the right places, I was highly moved, you know, and then you think, well, but this is not really a good film, yeah, so, and I want to know what you think in all of those areas. I mean, <laughs> as for it being you know, a good film or not. I do see what you mean. There's, there's something that is... There's just a lack of visual artistry in it, yes. uh, which, you, which you ideally would seek. And then sometimes the camera is used quite effectively. Like, there's that scene where Bergoglio goes to the Pope's summer palace mm. and they have that conversation over the patio table and it gets very close in on their faces as it gets more intense. And it's mm. quite a simple technique, but it's very, very effective. You really mm. start to feel the intensity of this conversation. There are times when things like that really work, and that does feel cinematic. But overall, there's something lacking about it, and it's a film that completely foregrounds the script and the performances. Yes. And so in some sense, it really betrays its origins on stage. It doesn't look like it betrays them, but it might betray them. Yeah, well, it feel, in that wordy way, you know, that yeah. the film's based on plays 
that they tend to have that. Mm. But as you were saying, you know, you were surprised to find out that it was a play. That it was a play because like, it goes into these extended flashbacks yes. in Argentina in the seventies and eighties, incorporating documentary footage. Yeah, and and also editing your manipulating film footage to look like it comes from the time, look mm. like it's been shot on video and stuff. That works really, really well, mm. and it's very kind of uh, very effective. So, as an adaptation from the stage to screen, it's very successful. Yes. But it does lack a certain artistry. As audiovisual storytelling, it's not. Yeah, so, you know, it has effective moments. I mean, mm. this guy has been a director for 30 years. It would be outrageous if, yeah. you know, it didn't have some effective moments, right? You know, I like to play the racks on focus, yeah, where, mm. you know, kind of the foreground is out of focus and attention is being paid to the listener in the background. Yeah. You know, little things like that are good. The shots where... Bergoglio first sees the Vatican. It's a wide angle and it's from down low and you see the ceilings and this great grandeur and you kind of implicitly know that this is not what Francis stands for, right? Yes. He was all about getting rid of that. But on the other hand, I was watching some of those shots and thinking, oh my God, here it is, like these huge, <laughs> super wide angles. How boring, right? Like, you know, and, and banal. Like, you think of other ways that it could have been more expressive. Um, I think all of the scenes in the Sistine Chapel which do betray its theatrical origins. Yeah. A lot of the film takes place in the Sistine Chapel. I mean, I think all of that could have been filmed better. I also uh, thought a lot of the images were cliched, right? Mm -hmm. You know, so the scene where, you know, he's kind of wondering what's happened to him and he goes to the mountains and the mountains are all in fog, right? I thought, oh, like, yeah, <laughs> so banal, <laughs> like, you know, so, yeah. Yeah, I'm searching for my face. I've been watching Hu Shen films and I've been watching his early ones, which are really banal romantic comedies, comedy musicals. One of them is called Cute Girl or, mm -hmm. you know, The Green Green Grass of Home, things like that. And yet in these cutesy popular musicals, like there's just such a gobsmacking uh, knowledge and deployment of film form. Right. Like, mm -hmm. you know, everything always looks interesting. Yeah, and expressive and you know, he plays with like long takes and cutting and so there's nothing like that in this film. Yeah. So No, for the most part. Although I, mean, I don't want to say it's completely yeah, amateur. Yeah. You know, I mean it it is Fernando Mireille's, but it's not up to a standard that would make it into a great film. No, sure. There were a couple of cuts that I thought were they really struck me, which are cuts that are not unlike the kind of thing you see Something that you tend to see in Aaron Sorkin-type walk-and-talk shows. Walk-and-talk shows. Right. <laughs> where, so I'm not talking about walk-and-talk <laughs> shots here, but it's it's this kind of thing where a conversation will start and then you'll cut to now they're walking down a corridor, having been in an office, and the conversation's carrying on, right? There are cuts like that in here, but they don't work in quite the same way because in those, you, you, it's like, yeah, we're moving the story forward and it's just a, it's a convention. We've, well, it's something they invented, really. Um, but in here, it's... A conversation or, you know, a scene will continue, but but in a cut, the characters will move from one area of the room to another. Mm. And it makes no logical sense, right? You know, it's like they, they it's like they are should be cutting to five minutes in the future. And, but it's not, like it's the next line of dialogue. It's very weird how that works. There was one in the Sistine Chapel, I remember, which was the two of them are stood up and just like in the middle of a line of dialogue that I think um uh, Ratzinger's saying the cut is to them sitting on that bench and 
it doesn't make any sense, but but I went with it completely because it just made sense. I like, it felt like that there, there was something there was something deeper that was carrying me through in that scene that it actually didn't matter that there was this huge shift in continuity, huge lack of continuity mm. in that visually. It was very, very odd to me. I really liked it. It really struck me. I mean, this is what's interesting about this film. Yeah, because, you know, so I suppose rationally I'm looking at it and thinking I was, you know, not very good. And yet I'm comp- I, I was completely involved in it. Yeah. You know, I got all the jokes. I, I, I was very moved. I mean, you know, so... You know, it's a political film. Yeah, it's a film with a point of view, you know, particularly on the South or less uh, rich countries, or less developed countries. The global South. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's very aware of politics, uh, both, you know, at a local level and at a global level. And it has a point of view on them. The use of music is fantastic. And again, from a particular background, you hear the Bella Ciao song, which was the song of the Italian resistance, and also like Matteo Sosa, Latin American protest uh, songs, and tango, of course, it's got a great soundtrack. It looks very good, yeah, like mm-hmm. I, I think in terms of, it's a very appealing looking film. And I think the two central performances are fantastic. So, you know, this is a film that has a lot to love, really. Mm. So. Oh, is that the end of the thing? I thought there was gonna be a but. No. Uh, uh, well, the but I've already stated. Yeah. Yeah, that you would think it would add up to something greater. That's where I thought you were going with that sentence. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, the, que- the question is kind of what is missing. And because, because I agree with you, there is an awful lot to like. And I like, it, it reminds me of Steve Jobs, mm. directed by Danny Ball. Have you seen it? No. It's really good. And it, actually, it's Aaron Sorkin, um, written, which is a biopic of Steve Jobs. But it has this kind of central theatrical you know device or uh, you know kind of artificiality that sets up the whole thing which is that you see three different product launches there's the mac and then there's the imac mm. and then there's the i guess the new mac or the ipod or something i can't remember and all these same people keep coming back into steve jobs's life over it right so there's like the boss of the company and he sees him three times steve wozniak who is his kind of co-creator of the mac and he keeps coming back all these characters keep on coming back and the stories get updated, mm. you know, as, as and so this is, like, unrealistic, right? At one point, Steve Jobs, the character, even says, like, why is it that the most important points in my life, all these people keep coming back to fucking see me, mm. you know? This kind of central artificiality that just drives the whole thing, and it makes it very, very clear that this is not a real thing, this is a play, mm. you know? And the same thing's happening here. Right? I don't really believe that this visit to the Sistine Chapel and this kind of, this the sharing of secrets and, and confessions and stuff happened, yeah. right? It's a... It's a device that allows all these things to be expressed yeah. and explored. But that's not important. It doesn't matter, to me at least, that it's a device. You no, know, no, that's, I, that's what I really like about it. Yeah. I think that's one of the most appealing things about it. You go, actually, up to a point, this isn't trying to portray real life. Mm. This is using these people and think, their histories and their personas as a way to explore these ideas. Mm. Except, you know, so when I was watching it, I was thinking, okay, you know, visually, blah... And really what makes this film is the script and the performances. But then I was thinking, well, actually, I, I also have doubts about the script, right? Because I think that what, the, what the film is trying to do is set up these two popes as almost opposites 
that it then reconciles, that it then brings together, mm -hmm. right? So the Anthony Hopkins character is the political maneuverer, yeah, chatting everybody up and shaking hands with everybody and getting mm. elected. Right. And then, you know, the other one is like, you know, uninterested, <laughs> above poly, a man of the people, you know, but you think you don't get to be the head of the Jesuits in Argentina and Uruguay if you're completely unambitious. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it must take enormous executive and, you know, people skills. Yeah, well, people skills were, get, were shown that he has, but it must take an executive, uh, you know, an extraordinary amount of ambition and executive skills, you know, to uh, to achieve that position, right? Head of the Jesuits, then cardinal, then actually he was politically savvy enough, you know, to actually handle a dictatorship. Though he was criticized for how he handled it, mm. you know, but I think that's a situation in which you can't win, right? Like, mm. you know, if you're living under a dictatorship, I mean, what, either you die or... You, you compromise. You you deal with them in some form. I mean, you you know you probably try to deal with them as little as possible, but you know you can't not deal with them. It's not your choice to make, mm. right? So a figure who can do all of those things is not like this unambitious kind of you know. I, I just don't believe it. I'm not huh? sure unambitious is exactly the right word for him. Though I do agree with you that the film does make does does. There is a feeling to the way the character is written and portrayed that he kind of falls into these positions that he didn't really want or strive mm. for. Um, I agree with that. But I think unambitious is not quite the point or not quite the idea. You know, he has this thing about the, you know, the church needs to change. We're losing people. We, I have different ideas about gay people, about all these conservative ideas. The banks. Um, but I'm not sure that he that he's shown or portrayed as lacking ambition to change that. But there's this feeling of it will never change. And that's more where he's coming from. That, you know, were I Pope, I would do these things, he says. Mm. But but he does kind of have this feeling of it'll never happen. And therefore, why sort of try? The like, whole, it would the, never be me. The whole way the character is drawn up is as someone who's wanting to withdraw. So he doesn't want to be Pope, right? Uh, uh, yeah, he wants to just be a simple parish. Mm. <laughs> you know. So I think... I'm sure there might have been elements to that that I can see, but clearly what, what's not made clear is, or what the film uh, and the play presumably irons out, is that sense of conflict. You know, mm. that you may want to be a simple peasant, you know, but you may want the power that the palace affords you, or yeah, like kind of, you know, things are never simple. They're always kind of dynamic and often contradictory and so on. Mm -hmm. But in attempting to make of the two popes kind of opposites that are then brought together, mm. it makes things too simple. Yeah, I agree. And it, it just kind of filed down all those things. And I mean, I don't know about you, I could see right from the very start that, you know, this, this, it, it was such a, like I say, obvious setup of the two of them versus each other. And you kind of thought, well, this is going to be reconciled in some way. Mm. And, you know, this is, this is, this is, it was very predictable the way their relationship evolved yes. over the course of the film. But I didn't hate that. Maybe because I kind of took it as, took it for granted that that would happen. So when it did, I was like, yeah, it's happening. And I quite like how it's happening. Not unlike maybe the religion thing. So you're saying, you know, it's talking at the, it's talking about all these ideas that you're interested in through this prism of faith that these characters have. And that's just not you at all. Yes. But what I think is that because I took as read that obviously these people are Christian and faithful and they are going to talk about things in terms of their relationship with God or what God might want and that kind of stuff. Sure. I 
I didn't that I didn't find a way to make that annoying to me. No, no, I accept <laughs> that, you know, and um, you know, I was saying that I my reason for not watching the film was that that has no appeal for me, mm. which is not to say that I don't recognize that it has appeal for others. You know, kind of many members of my family are very religious and so on. And my feeling about it all is, you know, whatever helps you through the night. <laughs> so, you know, uh, uh, but I don't think it's a good way of understanding the world. Um, no, but I think it's only a part of the way the, the world is understood here. You know, it's not like every question ends up being resolved by well, your relationship no, with God allowed. It's, it's, it's about, you know, your... It, it, I mean, there's, that, there's a really nice bit that I liked where it's around the time that um, Bergoglio is talking about his history in Argentina and his guilt over what happened to the Jesuits. Yes. And Ratzinger, he talks about like how you've lived your life, right? And maybe he does phrase it as your faith is in how you've lived your life. Maybe, maybe that was how he... Maybe faith was involved in that... Uh, that kind of absolution that he offers but it was about this kind of practical thing of like this is oh no your leadership that's what he said he said your leadership is is in your way of life mm. you know which I thought was a really interesting thing to say and it didn't actually have anything to do with faith and it was this really kind of practical assessment of yes. of uh, Bergoglio's guilt yes you know um. so not every question in the film has a relationship with faith or is resolved with faith. and But I do think that one thing that I really like about the film is that it's it's completely sincere about everything it it's talking about. It is. I like that. And I think it's serious about serious things. You know, I mean, not too successful on them, but yeah, mm. but I think serious and treats them with respect and with import- the, the importance they deserve. So all of that I liked uh, very, very much. And I want to talk a little bit about the actors as well because you know there were moments you know and like I said I struggle with Anthony Hopkins right because I can't quite put my finger on what it is that (laughs) it's not that I dislike him I don't actively dislike him but I don't like him I made the I made a remark to you that he was not trying to do an accent at all he was being Anthony Hopkins whereas Jonathan Price was putting on I don't know how well an Argentinian accent yes right Um, well Hopkins is Hopkins in this yeah Uh, As he kind of always is. But he's brilliant. And actually, you know, there were moments where, you know, I was just so admiring, Mm. really, because he's got he's got a trace, more than a trace of a legacy of his theatrical career. Right. He was a big theater star. And you could see moments where there's a quiet explosion. So he's saying things in a a soft voice, but yeah, Mm. they have an explosive effect. Right. And there was also the thing about timing. You know, I was thinking there were moments where we were laughing and actually we were laughing at a response of his that was not inherently funny. What was <laughs> funny is when he came in with the response. Yeah. Right. Uh, so I thought uh, I thought he was absolutely brilliant, really. And there is a ruling intelligence in his performances. Yeah. You know, um, you sense it in the choices that he makes. Right. Like. He's very clever with it, really. The minimalism of things like eye movements and so on. Mm. Yeah, it's it's really very impressive, I think. Yeah, um, there's a bit in this where he raises his eyebrow yeah. in one line of dialogue, and I thought, oh, I saw you do that. Something <laughs> 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 about the really weird. I saw you. <laughs> you know, do you know what I mean? <laughs> yes. You know, like because you can you think as you're as you're performing that, you know, you're thinking consciously about okay, I'll raise my eyebrow now, mm-hmm. or 
is it something that just happens? Mm. You know, I don't know. There were two things more I wanted to bring up. One was the football, yeah, okay, which we all laughed at and I at least enjoyed, uh, but which feels cheap and twee. This is the watching the World Cup final at the end. Yeah, but actually, you know, the use of uh, um, oh the the football his club being a football fan throughout the film. Actually, yeah, Francis which is a football reaches fan. its peak. Yeah, early. No, at the end. I mean, you know, I found it all kind of a bit obvious and cliched. Yeah, I mean, it might be true, mm. you know, but the way that it's presented is like one of the things that makes him like a man of the people is his love of football, and you know, and so and they use it as a kind of a joke. Yes, they're going to the bar, they're raising your arms. They, yeah. So it's all audience pleasing, mm. you know, mechanisms. Yeah, in the plot to get the audience on board and to please the audience, but which felt a bit cheap. When he becomes a priest and the priest who invites or whatever, says hello, says, you know what you're giving up. And he yes. says, yes, I even know her name. And then he says, well, at least I've still got my football team. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. I mean, maybe that is kind of emblematic of the way that the film works in that it's, it ends up going for simplified ideas or mm. solutions or things or kind of things that are not easy to reconcile and ultimately please an audience that you know it's a film that ultimately won't challenge you right i don't think it's a film that invites you to think about these ideas of guilt and our histories and and collaboration and fascism and globalization it brings them all up yeah um, but it and doesn't that, explore any of them in any depth no that's kind of where i'm going and Although I do think, like I say, I think the sincerity is important because when it got to the point where it was using what has to be real footage mm. of of deaths in Argentina in the seventies, I was thinking like there's a real when you get to you know when you're using any kind of historical characters or historical footage, there's a sense of responsibility. But certainly when it's of deaths and these kind of horrors, you, there's a real imperative to be responsible with that and I think the film met that imperative in the way it was it didn't end up being very complex about it but it was treating the topic with seriousness and solemnity but let me posit something because I think this might also be something um, against the film right because you know so on the one hand you know it mentions all these things like globalization and you know, the power of banks and dictatorships and so on. But the two main um, problems in the film, yeah, mm -hmm. are what the military dictatorship did in Argentina, mm -hmm. yeah, and child abuse by priests, mm. yeah. And one gets given a whole lot of space. Yeah. And the other one is... You don't even hear it. The sound goes off. Yeah, you fade out on yeah. Ratzinger's confession about not doing enough about this paedophile priest. Exactly. And I think that's a sign of collaboration itself. Mm. Yeah, because, you know, the military dictatorship in Argentina is in the past. The power of the church continues. Mm. So, you know, by silencing one and putting all of the focus on the other, it's a bit of a coward's game. Yeah, that, I noticed that when when it faded out on that. And it, like, it, the way it comes back with Bergoglio being outraged and Ratzinger seeking you know, uh, absolution again, I mm -hmm. guess, um, forgiveness, you know, you get like, 
it's one of the things where the power the power is in not hearing it, but you know, no, actually the power would be in hearing it, and it is chickening out mm. to not talk this out. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, so all of the offences of the church itself are whispered or silenced, mm. right? So, you know, the accent is on, oh, you know, what degree of collaboration did you do with the military dictatorship? Did you do it to save lives? Could you have done more? Was it collaboration? But actually, the church's own control over these actions, over this whole other scandal, yeah, which we see increasing examples of, you know, throughout the last 30 years, and the church's inaction in that, the film chooses to follow the church's path and keep silent about it. And that is a real problem with the film, I think. Yeah, you do come out thinking that um, things... You know, the church The church ends up needing reform at the end of this film, and that's what Francis offers. He offers reform yeah. and, you know, response to changing times, but um, but it doesn't say uh, the church has been responsible for horrible crimes, yes, exactly. which it absolutely has. Yes. Yeah. So, so now let's bring it back cause, <laughs> you know, to the ending thing. Whereas I, I want to say, you know, to wrap up, in spite of all of that... Mm. I really liked it and recommend. Yeah, so yeah. do I. And actually, oh. it's maybe not unlike The Child of the Chicago 7, yeah. which is another fucking talking, which we watched recently, where at the end we were like, well, it was a lot less painful than we thought. Yes. You know? Um, well, to be fair... This was enjoyable. Oh. Very enjoyable. And actually, to be fair, from the first kind of few minutes that I'd seen back when it came out, I, I thought it was charming. Mm. I think it is charming. And so, you know, I wasn't surprised to find that that charm... Mm. carried through which was not the case with the Chicago 7 film like that was mm. better than I thought it would be mm. um, but I do think mm. you know, I think charming is a word I would associate with this it's charming the characters are charming the way they're played is charming a lot of the dialogue is charming very funny the characters share jokes they get on it's like it's, it, it's a pleasant place to be in yes. that respect yes but like so like other films they diminish in the mind the more you think about them <laughs> yeah that might be the case as well <laughs> yeah. alright so, uh, thank you very much for listening. We are eavesdropping at the movies, and we are on. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, Spotify, SoundCloud, and YouTube. On social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter. And the website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I also like just quickly while we're here I also like um, the amount of non-English dialogue and actually I thought it was I mean I don't speak these languages so I can't speak to how well it was delivered yes. that kind of thing but it really worked for me and it went on for a lot longer than I expected it to to the point where it's very conspicuous when Jonathan Price says to Ratzinger can we speak in English? I'm so tired of Latin, I can't do Latin. You know, and, and it's very much there because we're going like now we're getting into the bulk of the film we're turning it back to English yes. but First 10, 15, 20 minutes, heavily Italian, Latin, Spanish. Yes. I think, uh, you know, it's interesting. Is the film is an English play, and I'm sure it has English money. Yeah, but it's a rebuttal of at least a certain type of little Englanderism, <laughs> right? It is kind of, you know, sophisticated and global, and it involves people from all over the world, and it treats people from all over the world with respect and as equals. Yeah. Yeah. And this movement from one language to another 
is the kind of cosmopolitanism <laughs> that, um, you know, Johnson's England and Trump's America, <laughs> you know, yeah. was so critical and dismissive and accusatory of. So in that sense, the film is a nice corrective to that. Yeah, and I think it just also adds to the authenticity early on. Of course. You know, like yeah. that all these languages would be being spoken in, in the Vatican when all these cardinals from across the world meet. Yes, the church is global, and some people would argue it's, you know, as lethal globally <laughs> as the banking system. <laughs> but it's funny, you know, thinking, because I mentioned Trump very early on, and thinking about Trump and Johnson, they, the film does have that bit where, has he become Pope at this point? I think it's in, like, his inaugural speech as Pope. Francis is talking about building walls and yes. which, or maybe, no, I think that's when you get to 1997 and he's a bit older and uh, he's talking about uh, you know people pushing up walls and so on and we shouldn't be doing that and you said is that is that America you didn't say is it Trump's wall you said is it America but uh, clearly it's meant to relate to that yes. and and in 2019 when it came out that was very very potent yeah, and I said lovely. to you like now that Trump has been out of office for a few months even though the problems in, in a general sense are still very very real these problems of isolationism and and racism um it's it's amazing how quickly at least for me that's lost its potency as an image i think um it certainly feels like i mean it's an ongoing problem but you now feel that it's a it's a problem with a solution or with a potential solution rather than before where you thought it was a problem that was getting worse and worse and more and more dangerous so that sense of relief or... A you feel a little of... less hopelessness in the world now. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it might relate to that. Hmm.